Welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. This is episode 43, Content Marketing Trends for 2021, and it starts right now. Digital Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, go to araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Welcome back to the happy hour. And of course, what happy hour is complete without a few beverages? Ryan, what you drinking this week? I am going Mexican. Modelo Special is one of my go-to drinks. And, you know, in a very chips and salsa kind of a taco Tuesday mood. So that is what I'm thinking, although it's not necessarily Tuesday, but we're going to go with that anyway. What are you drinking, Chris? Very nice. Well, I am drinking local Cigar City, local to the Tampa area. I am drinking their Maduro, which is their brown ale, which is one of my go-tos. I do like Maduro. Well, we have our beverages in hand, so let's get started. He's Chris Casale. I'm Ryan Smith. Thank you for joining us once again this week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to the podcast, then we welcome you. If you're a repeat listener, thank you for listening and your continued support. If you find value in this podcast, would you please kindly leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. In this episode, we're discussing the latest B2C content marketing research and trends for 2021 from Content Marketing Institute and Marketing Profs. Now, this is B2C, which is business to consumer. So these are businesses that focused on individual consumers, not other businesses. They surveyed content marketers about the new complexity the pandemic brought to content marketing, while continuing to ask about content creation and distribution, metrics and goals, as well as budgets and spending. Anyone that has ever worked on an organic marketing strategy before knows it can be challenging. However, the obstacles created by the digital transformation of 2020 made some of those challenges even steeper. The switch to remote work, learning and understanding the needs of your audience given their own challenges during these times, and then of course, getting organizational buy-in to the strategy are just a handful of some of those challenges. So let's take a look at some of the data. The first component was in regards to how quick organizations made the switch in their content as a result of the pandemic. Ryan, what's the data say on that? So the question posed B2C marketers' opinions about changes their organization made to content marketing in response to the pandemic. There were three choices in this survey they could make. Our organization made quick changes to the pandemic. About 82% said they strongly agree or somewhat agree to that. The second question they could choose, our organization made effective changes due to the pandemic. Actually, That was slightly less, about 80% said that the organization made an effective change. And then the third question here is, we expect some of the changes we made to stay in effect for the foreseeable future. This one had the highest of strongly agree or somewhat agree at 84%. So there's a couple of things when you break this down, I thought was really interesting. They didn't just ask did the organization make quick changes? Then they followed that up with our organization made effective changes. Everywhere here, we see 80% or more 
but the lowest percentage at 80%, so it's still pretty strong, is the fact that their organization made effective changes. And we know as marketers, this is a, without a pandemic around the world, marketing is always constantly evolving and we always have to stay on top of it. So that's something that you have to be used to. If you're not an agile organization in the world of, of marketing, you're going to get left behind relatively quickly. So to see organizations respond through this is not surprising. I'm actually more surprising to see where 82% said it was quick. 80% said they felt that it was effective, that their organization's response to the pandemic, uh, which is pretty good. So, I mean, quick and effective. When you can have those two together, I think you're into communicating to your clients, prospective clients, here are the changes that we made. And I know a lot of those changes has to do with messaging. It has to do with, you know, are you being empathetic? Here's our new safety protocols, whatever that may be. There are so many different changes, pause campaigns that you're running just to make sure it's not insensitive. So it's great to see that, again, these are self-reporting as well. So, you know, there's always a margin of error on that. But the fact that these are the reports that these organizations had, you know, during the pandemic. Yeah, the numbers actually don't surprise me all that much. And part of the reason I say that is, so 82% said it was quick, which meant they strongly agreed or somewhat agreed with it. Well, the changes kind of had to be quick. If you think back, in fact, we had an interview with Jay Bear on this podcast, episode 21, How to Rewire Your Customer Experience with Jay Bear. In that episode, he talked about how even seemingly simple things, right, like the act of going to get a haircut have changed as a result of the pandemic. Do I have to book my haircut in advance? Where do I park? Do I have to wear a mask? Do I stay in my car until it's time to go in, right? Very simple questions for the act of getting a haircut that you as a consumer might not know how to react to. So the businesses kind of had no choice but to react quickly and provide a lot of information. It dips a little bit on whether the organization made effective changes. And I don't think that they necessarily made ineffective changes. I just think when you're surveying people, you know, the first question is, did your organization respond quickly? Yes, we responded quickly. Were those changes effective? Eh, I think so. I hope so, right? But there's a little bit of uncertainty or doubt. Were they effective? Well, I, I don't know. I guess time will really answer that question. The thing that's interesting to me was the last question here. We expect some of the changes to stay in effect for the foreseeable future. And that was right around 84%. Actually very encouraged by that. That means that organizations have made these changes and they are going to continue to invest in them because consumers are going to need that information. So this is somewhat in line with what I expected, and I'm actually encouraged by some of that data. Yeah, I think the other part of that is you have tools available to help you with these changes. And the biggest tool I'm talking about is Google My Business, where they came up and developed new sections, you know, where you can stay connected during COVID-19 update your service availability. If you were temporarily closed, you can put that down as a button, as opposed to if your business is permanently closed. So they did a lot. You, they put a section where you can post your COVID-19 updates, whatever your safety and uh, protocols are. We, you kind of brought up the Jay Bear episode where he mentioned about getting a haircut. All of a sudden now, what you took for granted before, now you have like 25 questions that you need to know before you're able to do that. So Google My Business, besides your website, also allowed that. So not only was it, did it help that companies were evolving their messaging, 
they also had tools that Google provided that could make it a lot easier. Because if you're not familiar with Google My Business, it's going to not only show up in the search engine results page, but also you will see these in Google Maps as well. So a lot of changes and definitely Google helps give a good platform for these small to medium sized businesses to really promote their message. The survey actually goes on too. I thought this was interesting, Ryan. It talks about whether or not organizations, and again, this is all B2C, revisited their customers or their buyer personas, and did they change their content marketing metrics? And those numbers were actually very low. Only 18% revisited or changed their customer or buyer personas, and only 13% changed their content marketing metrics. Now, to some extent, I get that, right? You're probably not going to alter your foundational strategies when it comes to content. You know, your metrics should be selected in advance. And so they're not necessarily going to change as a result of the pandemic happening. However, I'm a little bit surprised at how low the numbers are on revisiting of the buyer personas, because we talk about on the podcast all the time how important it is to know who your audience is. And while I think that the personas themselves might not change, right, in terms of the types of audience that you're interacting with, one aspect of buyer personas that is critical to your success is psychographics. And that includes the motivations and fears of those individuals. And I have to think that for all of us, our motivations and fears were altered by COVID-19. And so that would have had an impact on these personas. I'm kind of surprised more organizations didn't take a look at that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the big thing too, whoever your buyer is, for the most part, it is your buyer. Rarely, especially if you have a niche product, is it going to change? But I, to your point though, it's revisiting it, taking a second look, digging a little bit deeper on it. That is somewhat surprising, but, you know, additionally in this same survey, only 63% of B2C marketers change their messaging and or their targeting strategy during, you know, looking back during the pandemic, that's shocking to me that only 63%, because here's the thing, and, and this is something we can go back to the very first episode of Digital Marketing Happy Hour, episode one, communicating in a pandemic. That whole episode, while it might've been a little rusty since it was our first one, the, the content though was all about what, Chris, we talked about empathy. Empathy was just such a major part of this. And in pandemic or not, empathy should always be key when you are communicating to an audience with your messaging. The fact that only 63%, nearly everybody should have looked over their messaging, rechecked it again, just to make sure that A, not only is it aligned with your brand, obviously, but you want to make sure that it aligns with your customers because in certain areas, their people's lives were up, turned upside down. Some of them, it was just nothing more that, you know what, they just had to stay home and maybe they were bored. But to a lot of people, there could be, you know, some sensitivity issues with that. So the fact that not even two thirds changed their messaging or targeting strategy, I'm actually a little surprised that I would expect that to be higher because to me, that kind of gets back to a little bit of a basic marketing 101 and you just have to go back you know, I was surprised. I thought something would change. It didn't have to be a major change, but you would think something. So those are a couple of the big things that we saw that, that came about. Now, the number one thing was that they changed the targeting and, and messaging strategy uh, through this process. Uh, number two, 54% said they adjusted their editorial calendar, which that to me kind of falls in line and makes sense with it. And then third at 46% said they changed the content distribution or promotion strategy, which again, also falls in line. You want to make sure 
that you're again not promoting something or on platform maybe that was great now it can come across as a little insensitive um you're not being very empathetic so i think during this that was huge yeah i agree looking at some of these other stats it's interesting only 34 percent re-examined the customer journey that number is very low to me, right? If you're looking at what your customer journey is, you're looking at points of friction with your business. And COVID-19 created new points of friction because there were other constraints on people's lives. And so I'm actually surprised at how low that was. But then there's numbers that surprised me in different ways. There's a stat here for uh, organizations that adjusted their KPIs or their key performance indicators, and that was 23%. And that's kind of interesting to me because even though we're in a pandemic, I would assume that your key performance indicators probably wouldn't change all that much, right? If the, if you've identified what your KPIs are, and those are the things that lead to your success, well, your successful outcomes haven't necessarily changed as a result of this. So it surprises me that that number is sort of as high as it is. So it's kind of interesting to see the strategies that different businesses engaged with during this time to determine what was most effective for them in reaching their audience. And, you know, the organizations that were the most proactive, I think, clearly were the winners throughout all of this. No doubt. And for these charts that we are referring to, go to raxum.com and you can find it under content marketing trends for 2021. And you'll be able to see the visuals that we are talking about. So the size of B2C content marketing teams compared 12 months ago. So basically a pre-pandemic and a during pandemic, how did content marketing's teams change? And, and basically, it was broken down to company sizes of less than 100 employees and company sizes 100 employees and more. And so this one question, I like the question. I think, just my own opinion, there are flaws in just asking it because there's a huge difference between a company that has one and 20 employees and a company that has 20 to 50 employees, and then a company that has 50 to 100. They're so different, but here they're, they are kind of categorized as the same. So when we're looking at, did you expand or decrease your content marketing team during the COVID of 2020? Basically, most of the companies stayed the same. So that's actually good news, especially when we were talking about all uh, the layoffs that occurred throughout the year. I think that's very positive. So if you're a small to medium-sized business, 67% stayed the same. Now, 21% actually increased for the small to medium-sized businesses, and then about 13% decreased. And when you're looking at content, I'm not surprised necessarily that content marketing did see the slash. Now, you could see the first thing that gets pulled is what? Advertising. You know, or did people stop advertising on, you know, social media, on search ads? So that's the first. Second thing is, okay, now we have to decrease positions, something like content marketing, just working with enough organizations. I could see how that probably is one of the first things that got cut. But again, on a positive note, 21% increased their team. And again, that's from organizations that have between one and 99 employees in it. I would assume that the larger of that, that's 50 and north to 99 employees, those are the ones that increased their staff. On the flip side, Chris, what did it look like for companies that have 100 employees or more? So large organizations actually increased. They had about a 34% increase 
for content marketing in large organizations with 52% staying the same and then 15% at a decrease. And these numbers actually inspire me a little bit, Ryan, because obviously we know a lot of folks were hit with job losses throughout the pandemic. And unfortunately, marketing, marketing and advertising in particular is usually one of the first to get cut, but some organizations don't have the foresight and they kind of lump a lot of it together. But seeing that the decrease stats are 15% or lower for all of these, in the grand scheme of things, I think that's pretty good. It's nice to see that a lot of them stayed the same, but a lot of them invested here. A lot of them put more resources into their content marketing. And certainly the larger organizations have more resources and they were able to do that faster. And in this case, they did at a clip of 34%. So pretty inspiring to see that. The survey also went on to talk about the top three technologies that B2C marketers report using to assist with content marketing. And the first stat here makes my soul feel good, Ryan. The analytics, web analytics, dashboards, things like that are at 85%. It is by far the top tool individuals use, and that is fantastic. That is what they should be using. Define those key performance indicators and then use the data, look at the data to determine if your content is doing what you expect it to do, right? So that is excellent to see. Second is at 73% is the social media publishing and analytics, which really no surprise there, right? Your point, individuals and organizations now engaging with social media want to make sure that they're not offending anybody with the stuff that they're saying, but that they're also being helpful with it. So you would need technology to help you publish across those different platforms, but then analytics to determine you know, how well those posts were performing. And then in third at 71% was email marketing software, which again, no surprise there, right? You want to be communicating with your consumers and email is a very, very easy way to do that. So that investment makes perfect sense. Wait, I thought email was dead, Chris. Is email dead, Ryan, in 2021? I don't know, but I think we've talked about this before, perhaps during episode 31, the third pillar of digital marketing, email. Email is very much alive. Here's the thing. Why email is, is, I think, even bigger during, you know, the said pandemic. Pandemic or not, let's just go back for a second. When you are advertising on these social media spaces, when you're advertising through Google, you rent all those ads. Every ad that there is, is rented. And as soon as you stop, you no longer get visibility. The minute an algorithm changes, which we just talked about with Facebook and iOS 14 pretty extensively, when you look at that, you're renting on those spaces and they own it. They can change it at any time. Now, things switch going through a pandemic. You don't know necessarily who is online, who's not. How did these environmental changes also change the behavior at which people consume content? Email marketing is one of those things that you own. You don't have to worry about Facebook updating their algorithm. You don't have to worry about Apple putting in a new privacy changes that's going to mess up your Facebook ads. So when it goes to email marketing, and all this, of course, happened before we're talking about these new changes that have are just getting rolled out. Email marketing is still the, it has stood the test of time. It really has. Now, are you getting 80% open rates? No, you're not. But then again, you know, if you're doing a Facebook ad, are you getting 20% click-through rates? No, you're not, you know? So, and I think you have to think of it like that is, is, you know, people engaging. So um, I know there's another step to email marketing. Uh, you have to open it first before you can click it. But the, the whole point is there's still life to be had there. And as Chris pointed out, you know, with 71%, you know, still using and investing in email marketing software, it goes to show you 
where people are thinking. And we know that you still have an email app on your phone and there's a pretty good chance you still open that email app on your phone. So it's still a great way to communicate. And again, it's clearly how a lot of businesses communicated during the pandemic. And then the last major thing we wanted to talk about is the editorial tools B2C marketers used while creating contents. 73% of B2C marketers say they use keyword research tools for search engine optimization, SEO, during the content creation process. Another one, as long as we've had search engines and we started creating content on websites, we've been using these keyword research tools. 73% is what it was during this. Probably a long time ago, it would have been 99%. It's still a big part of it, and it still is number one. Number two, we're talking about documents in the cloud. So using Google Drive, for example, or maybe Dropbox. Shared documents to collect and track ideas. That was at 60%. So we're, that is all about collaboration. And I think that's huge. And it probably gained even more so because of the digital transformation. And all of a sudden, all of these employees are working from home. So it made it probably even a little bit more important when you weren't to the cubicle next to you or, or down the hall that you could communicate anymore. Literally, all these documents had to live in a cloud some sort. So those are the big things. Editorial calendar came in at the third at 58%. And editorial tools B2C marketers use, buyer personas at 48%. Again, very surprised that's so low, 48%. It's almost like there's 52% that aren't even using it, which just blows my mind away. Because if you don't have a buyer persona, you don't know who you're targeting. How are you writing your content on your website? How are you creating ads? And that, that doesn't matter if you're B2B, B2C, if you're at the enterprise level, a multinational corporation, or you're a solopreneur. That's just one box that every single marketer and business has to check is to understand your personas. I have to wonder with some of that data, Ryan, if this is a case of individuals and companies just not being aware that some of these tools are available. You mentioned personas. Well, with the digital transformation, if you were creating a persona on a PowerPoint slide or a spreadsheet or something like that, you might not be aware that there's some fantastic tools online at your disposal. So definitely something that is worth checking into. The other thing that this survey mentions is readability tools like Grammarly and stuff like that, which I can tell you, I only started using Grammarly in the last year and I have been missing out. So definitely recognize that there are some great resources available to you online and they can support your content marketing efforts. One thing that did surprise me about this survey, Ryan, is that they asked some of the B2C marketers about the impact on their content marketing strategy. And 26% of B2C marketers say the pandemic had a major impact on their content marketing strategy. I am blown away at how low that number is. And I get that the strategy is your long-term plan for a lot of this stuff, but only 26% are saying the pandemic had a major impact on that strategy I don't know how that isn't 100%. Well, either people are lying or they don't really know, which is also scary if you're on employees. And, and even if you're the lowest level content marketer on your team, or if you're building out Facebook ads, but you are just kind of at a coordinator position, it doesn't matter. You still need to know these things. And, and it's just, so that has to do with uh, management, either just not being engaged, not having an ear to the ground, understanding what's going on. 
this is a little bit of self-reporting. These could be people that maybe there was a change made, but they didn't know it. But then you have to ask yourself, well, if they didn't know it, I mean, shame on them. So yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of things here that doesn't seem right. But if it really was 26%, and this is B2C, that the pandemic had a major impact, I mean, I don't get it either. I'm with you on that one. It just, that one didn't quite add up, but you know, it is what it is. And, and through this, a lot of people have changed and they've changed marketing strategy, content marketing, how they're reaching people. So with some of these changes that they have occurred, we're still seeing them well into 2021. And I think it goes to that very, very, very first question that we started this off was, you know, we expect some of the changes made to stay in effect for the foreseeable future. And 84% said that they believe that is these changes are going to stay in effect. So, yeah, very good point, Ryan. Interestingly, the survey closed out on the type of content creation and distribution, which is kind of fascinating to me because we talk about on this podcast a lot, content comes in many different forms, whether it's written or video or audio. And the survey goes on to say that the top four types of content that B2C marketers report using are blog posts and short articles at 83%, email newsletters at 74%. So to go back to what you were saying earlier, Ryan, email clearly not dead. Videos, mostly pre-produced at 62%, and then infographics, charts, and photos at 55%. And there's a couple notable differences from last year. Virtual events, webinars, and online courses increased to 39% from 27%. No shock there. There's no in-person events, so we're going to offer more online events, webinars, things like that. Makes perfect sense. In-person events decreased to 37% from 50%. I'm not exactly sure where those numbers are coming from. 37 still feels very high to me, but there might have been a lot of in-person events in January and February before things started to shut down. And then live streaming content increased to 35% from 13%. So again, no no real surprises there. Uh, Businesses were getting smart with the way they made new content. And live streaming was a great way to create new content across your social media channels. So interesting to see. You know, another interesting thing to note here is that the blog content and the short articles at 83%, I mean... Quite frankly, aside from all of the content stuff, if you do not have a blog as a business, you are missing out. And I'm not even talking about shorthand content. You can post just about anything to your blog, infographics, videos, podcast content, as Ryan and I do on the Araxum blog. There is so much you can do with a blog that if you don't have one, you absolutely should start one today. You know, B2C marketers who use at least two content types reported that, as you just mentioned, blog posts, short articles, email newsletters, and then pre-produced videos. And I think it's important to put pre-produced. So that's not Facebook Lives or Lives on Instagram, but definitely pre-produced, a little bit more traditional in that sense. Combining those tactics together produce the best overall content marketing results for their organization in the last 12 months. Again, it's using blog posts, email newsletters, and video. And we've been saying it for years, but especially on this podcast, you've heard it. I mean, video is where it's at. You have to combine video of of some sort. You know, I worked a lot with automotive dealerships at the tier three level, which means outside of that, just it's your local dealership. And it just surprised me how many, A, did not 
incorporate blogs because people are searching for content. It just blew my mind in the service industry for car dealerships is massive. I mean, they need to get people in to get oil changes as part of their uh, the pipeline uh, to get more business. But then the other part of it was too, when it came to video and was able to actually was had a chance to go to the Google office in New York City several times and really learn a lot about the automotive industry through them and the amount of people who actually watch a YouTube video of somebody test driving a car is astronomical compared to the amount of people who physically go to a car dealership and physically test drive the car. So that example just goes to show you the digital transformation in one industry that has completely changed. And if people can get all the information they need prior to contacting you and you remove as much friction as possible and give them that content, you have a greater chance of getting their business. And when we look at the survey, this is showing it. Again, businesses that incorporated blog posts, email newsletters, and videos produced the best overall content marketing results in their organization over the last 12 months, Chris. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see too, Ryan, over the next 12 months in 2021, if some of these numbers will shift, right? A lot of businesses might not have had the equipment that was necessary to produce online courses or to do live streaming or webinars and things like that. And if they're smart, they're making those investments right now because the rest of the world is. And even if we go back to some form of a new normal, right, with more in-person events, I don't think the live streaming and the webinars and sort of the live online events are going away anytime soon. And, you know, again, content, we talk about content on the Digital Marketing Happy Hour podcast all the time. And it's because there's just so much power in content marketing. And there's so many different things that you can do if you create some written content. You know, if you have a good graphic designer, you can then turn that into an infographic. And then you can also take that infographic and create a video where you're talking about it, or you can do some audio content. And there's just so many great opportunities there with content. So we want to hear what you're doing. We talk about it on the podcast often, but we love to get your feedback. Reach out to us on social media. You can also email us. If you'd like to send us an email, send it to podcast at araxam.com. That's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. And then find Ryan and I on social media. No, Chris, we definitely want to hear what worked for your organization. Did you see similar results or was it something different that you found? One area that opened my eyes, not that it's new to me, but the fact that there's still not a lot of people doing it. And believe it or not, it's the whole virtual events, webinars, even developing online courses. And it doesn't matter what organization you're in, you can develop some sort of an online course. The online course, by the way, doesn't have to be a premium. You can actually create a course as a lead magnet, or you can create a course that accompanies your book or it accompanies an app, something along those lines. You can have it again, just to accompany a product. So those opportunities that only 39% of B2C marketers actually said that they found that to be effective. Now, maybe it's the B2C part of it is why it's relatively low, but there is a ton of opportunity if you're, again, B2C and you want to add something new that two-thirds of your competitors are not doing, I would highly invest 
in creating webinars, virtual events, and definitely doing an online course. There's a bunch of really good teachers and how to create courses out there. Uh, I would look into it. Some are extremely expensive. Make sure you find some reputable ones, but learn how to do this. And again, it's really incorporating the video into sort of the presentation aspects. And I don't mean just PowerPoints, but really getting involved and being interactive and engaging. I think this is a missed opportunity for so many people. And if you say there's so many courses out there, there are so many courses out there, but you know what there's more of? There's more blogs out there than courses. And we're still telling you it's never too late to get in the blog game in 2021. Just like the course is the same thing. If you have something that's of quality, of value, that's easy to use, people are going to find it and word's going to get out. So definitely don't overlook that area. Well, Chris, that was a lot of info on B2C. There's even more to it, but we just kind of want to pull some of the highlights we thought would be very relatable to you, our audience. But before we wrap it up, Chris, we got to do a keep it light. So what is it that you're into these days? You know, we've talked about Disney Plus on the podcast during the last few episodes here, and I am one of the reasons that their numbers have increased in the last year or two. I started watching WandaVision on Disney Plus. I guess I should say I tried to watch a few weeks ago and stopped, and then I started up again in the last week here. And the reason for that is they started releasing them in mid-January, and the first two episodes were in black and white. And I didn't quite understand what I was watching. It was very like 50s, 60s sitcom-y, like kind of like an I Love Lucy feel to it. And even though it had Vision and Wanda from the Avengers, it was so bizarre to me and I just could not get into it. So I kind of stopped watching it. And then I read something online about how great it was and you really got to hang in there. So I, I went back and I started watching it again and they were right. By the third episode, you start to understand just what's happening and then it kind of picks up in the next few episodes. So it's actually been really good. And I am, of course, a fan of Marvel and the Avengers series, which is on Disney+. Plus. So it's uh, if you're into superhero stuff, definitely worth checking out. What about you, Ryan? What are you binge watching or reading? No, I, I am also doing WandaVision. And I'll be honest with you. So I always like to look at reviews just to see what critics say. I don't always, I don't weigh into whatever they say, like that's what's going to be. But it does give me a little bit of a, a frame of mind from a critic's standpoint, because there's many things where you see critics give either high reviews and, and the viewers give, you know, the opposite, you know, poor or vice versa. Well, this was, you know, critics panned this one and it was just fantastic and everybody loved it. So that happens. And I kept hearing what great reviews uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 93%, uh, which you don't get a lot in the 90s on Rotten Tomatoes. IMDb had like an 8 out of 10 on it. And so, you know, I'll go look at Entertainment Weekly and so forth. And I'm like, all right. And just like you, watch the first episode. And I'll be honest with you, I was like, what the hell was that? It was the 1950s. It had very much I Love Lucy. Episode 2 was in the 1960s. Episode 3 was in the 1970s. And I kind of appreciated some of it. And then after episode three, it kind of gave you a little bit of insight of to what's going on just a little bit. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, now you understand a little bit why they're doing all that. I actually wish it gave you a little bit of a heads up early on because I'm the same way. It was like, oh, I mean, it's only like 28 minutes long or whatever it is. Yeah, we'll watch it. I'll try it again. And I was getting really kind of frustrated. Like, why is this so good? 
it just didn't make sense. And then things start to really take off. I think it was about episode four and it continued on. So I'm, I had the exact same sentiment, you know, you and I didn't even talk about this uh, beforehand. I had the exact same sentiment now, totally into it, really like watching to see what happens uh, next. So yeah, WandaVision, I, I think is great. It's probably better if you, in, that, in the sense that we were doing it, watching it kind of as it drips, it might be easier just to binge watch all whatever eight or 10 episodes it ends up being. But uh, it's got a few more left. The The final air date is the last episode drops on March 5th. So just coming up for us anyway, coming up for a few more weeks. So it, no, that is, that's great. One of the things I totally got into was I was messing around with my Apple subscriptions that I have because everything in my house is, is, is Apple. And I finally upgraded to this Apple One. And with Apple One, you get a, there's a whole bunch, it's like a package, you get a whole bunch of things in it. And one of the things you get, I really didn't need, but you get Apple Arcade. And it's like on its own, I think it's $10 a month, Apple Arcade. And my God, I am now caught myself like nothing to do, waiting, just chilling on the couch. And I'm started playing all these different games on Apple Arcade. It is the most addicting thing. And there are hundreds and hundreds of different types of games. But uh, there's this little thing called Mini Motorway. If you check it out, it's uh, it's sometimes what I do to kill time. And if it's at the end of the day and I want to wind down, I, I play an Apple Arcade game. So that is kind of what I've been doing to uh, let loose. WandaVision, Apple Arcade. Well, we want to hear from you. Again, if there's something during this episode you loved, please let us know. Hit us up on social media. Send us an email. Again, the email is podcast at araxam.com. That's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Find me on LinkedIn. Just do a Google, do a LinkedIn search for Ryan Smith Marketing. Or you want to find Instagram and Twitter, hit me up, Ryan Smith FLA for both. And the best way to reach me is on LinkedIn. You can find me under my name, Chris Casali, but you can also find me under Araxum and of course, Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Audible, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We sincerely hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. Thanks everyone and have a great week. Thanks everyone. Be kind to each other. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits In My Pocket by Jazzer, you can find it on their album message. Learn more at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you for listening.